Justin, I actually want to start. Um, maybe it's it, that I'm in denial about the Bucks might actually lose the series. I actually want to start by talking about like the final ten seconds and the officiating. I had uh, band practice last night during the game, so I had the game on mute on my phone on my music stand, and I think that was good for my mental health because I was able to disconnect a little bit and just kind of watch the game and not get too fired up and and, and kind of get off balance. And watching the last 20 seconds or so in, in those calls on the jump shooting, that was just bizarre. I think it balanced out for the Bucks and the Heat. I don't feel like the Bucks got jobbed, and hopefully the, the Heat don't feel that way either. I think it balanced out, but as an NBA fan, I hated that. Like There was so much flopping in both of those games, especially on jump shooters last night. What did you think of the officiating and the play style and, and jump shooters just almost like looking for fouls more than actually making buckets last night, and we saw it come to a head in the final couple of seconds? Oh, so we are talking about the game. I thought this was uh, just, you know, talking about TV and music and other things. Yeah. Great. Um, you know, I didn't have a problem with the Chris Middleton call. I mean, throughout that game, you mentioned that uh, in really in the game that, ap- that came after us between Oklahoma City and Houston, there was a lot of flopping in that game. There was six whistles against a three-point shooter in our game between the Bucks and the Heat, four of them went the Bucks way. The one against Chris Middleton was a foul that, you know, Goran Dragic did not give him room to land. And, you know, just like fans were upset over Kyle Korver's flagrant foul, which, you know, look, I don't really know how to fault Kyle Korver on that in that where's he supposed to go. Yeah. But by the letter of the law, it is a flagrant foul. It was the same as the Chris Middleton play that by the letter of the law, that's a foul that Chris Middleton needs to be afforded the room to land. So uh, I don't really look at it as a makeup call. Um, you know, I guess, look, if you're if you're going to levy criticism against Giannis and the Bucks, there, it's. He was a little too aggressive on the closeout. He did make contact with Jimmy Butler. I, I just still cannot believe that you make that call in yeah. the final four seconds of the game. But, you know, like we said, it boils down to Giannis. With four seconds left, you know, if Giannis gets there as soon as Jimmy Butler catches the ball, Jimmy Butler has no time to pass it. So if Giannis was just a little bit quicker and pulled up a little bit on that closeout, we're headed to overtime, and then, you know, who knows? It, it might be one-to-one, as I think the models showed. Um, the Bucks had a .05% chance of winning the game with less than a minute remaining, and then as soon as Chris Middleton sank all three free throws, that went up to either 49 or 51. So who knows? Maybe if Giannis is there just a smidge earlier, we're talking about a one-to-one series. Yeah, well, and... I think it, it bears mentioning, too, or it, it you need to mention that Bam Adebayo was fouled out. If that game goes mm-hmm. to overtime, it, it's a completely different game. Now, Chris Middleton had five, but Giannis only had four fouls four, yeah, going into overtime. Fourth. Yeah, that's huge. So I, it's 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 very frustrating that it didn't get to overtime. I understand that it, it almost felt like karma. Chris Middleton maybe got a sh- uh, three free throws that Heat fans didn't think he deserved, and then vice versa on the other end of the floor. To, to kind of turn it back into the Bucks because we could talk about flopping all night. And what it's done, especially in those two games last night. But we, we do have to talk about the Bucks. They lose game two. I, the, the criticism for Coach Bud over the last week from Bucks fans has just been oh, kind boy. of very broad. It's like, well, he doesn't play his stars enough and he doesn't make adjustments. It's like, well, I, I think if we're going to criticize Bud, we should be a little bit more specific than that, right? What kind of adjustments would you like to see, right? What, what, what specifically, how would you like him to change his rotations? I'm actually losing patience a little bit, and I'm more willing to just say that he needs to play Giannis more. And I saw that echoed in a lot of the shows and, and TV shows and radio shows I listened to today. Giannis only played 36 minutes, and the Bucks are down 2 to nothing, 
Like, I know that's Bud's style, and that's the way that he coaches. You obviously are a lot closer to the team and, and coach Bud than I. What do you feel about Giannis only playing 36 minutes, and yet the Bucks are down 2 to nothing? Okay, so um, this one's a bit complicated because, look, I, I'm glad you brought up the fan base in that it's it's fine, and it's, it's perfectly acceptable to be disappointed. Mm-hmm. But to already see this go down, the Bud needs to be fired and is Bud the worst coach in the playoffs road when, you know, for all the criticisms of heartbreak year after year after year and why can't we ever have nice things in Wisconsin sports, this is the reason why. This is why we can't have nice things because we immediately turn our back as soon as something good happens and now we're pointing to Mike Budenholzer as the problem, which, look, he is not free of criticism for some of the things he has done in this series. But to see it taken to the extreme already of, Bucks need to find a new coach, and this is all on Bud, is ridiculous. Uh, I think the complication is this. In Game 2 last night, I don't know how much of this played into coaches' decision-making and how much of it was just, look, we have two years' worth of data now to understand this is how he approaches things. But for me, it was an internal struggle realizing, look, in the third quarter, the three minutes that Giannis was not on the floor, that's when the Bucks went on a run. And their best lineup during that stretch was Brooke Lopez, Marvin Williams, Chris Middleton, Wesley Matthews, and Eric Bledsoe. That, that was the five-man group that was getting it done. Um, in 73 minutes of play in this series, Giannis is a minus 21. So in those 73 minutes he has played, the Heat have outscored the Bucks by 21 points. I mean, that's just not going to cut it. And in the third quarter specifically, I mentioned that because that's when we saw the Bucks tie the score. It really seemed like the Heat had no idea how to defend the Bucks when Giannis wasn't on the floor because their defense was predicated around building the wall and making Giannis make a quick decision, hoping for turnovers, hoping that the secondary guys on the Bucks either wouldn't take advantage or wouldn't make a shot. And when Giannis wasn't on the floor, that wasn't an option. And we saw Chris Middleton hitting shots. We saw a little bit more half-court offense because that's when they put the ball in the hands of Brooke Lopez. And it just seemed like the Heat had no answers for that. Now, like we said, the problem is you have to play Giannis. You can't just not play him. But, you know, today, and we will hear from Coach Mike Budenholzer, or we did hear from him here, um, you know, that's what today and tomorrow morning is about, is about figuring out, okay, I can't not play him, but we have to figure out better ways to attack here when he's on the floor because for the for the reigning MVP and two-time MVP to be a minus 21 in a series here and outplayed by Jimmy Butler in game one and, you know, again, played better yesterday in game two but still um, finished with a minus, plus, minus, you're not going to win the series if that's the case. Yeah, and, and I'm and I'm glad that you recognized what you said about Coach Bud at the beginning. Like he has been the scapegoat for a lot of the issues. Look, they didn't miss free throws because of Coach Bud, right? I don't think they have been turning the ball over at the level they have been because of Coach Bud. Now, I I think his rotations are far from perfect. I still it blows my mind that Pat Connaughton closed instead of Wes Matthews in Game One. I I can't get over that because I think if they play Wes and they just make some free throws, this is a one-one series, and we're having a completely different conversation. That's unfortunately not how it went. Justin Garcia of the Bucks Radio Network. You hear him before, after, during. Uh, I was listening to you on the pregame show yesterday as my show wrapped up just a little bit early. I I want to ask you, Justin, because you have a, a front row seat. I know they're in the bubble, but you are in tune and a part of these broadcasts. You have seen the Bucks at every turn this season over the course of however many months we've been going now. It's going to be almost a year by the time this is done. 
where and when and why, in your estimation, did the Bucks pick up this turnover issue? Because I don't remember it being this bad before COVID, right? Is it just because they had a couple of months off and they're not as crisp? And it's not just the turnovers, of which they had 14 yesterday, which was actually a big improvement off of game one. But they're giving up so many points off of turnovers. That's the more telling stat. I think off the top of my head, it was 28 in game one. Yesterday, it was 22. I do have that in front of me. When did they pick up this habit? Because it's killing them. Yeah, the Heat are plus 27 in this series in points off of turnovers. And, um, you know, I think it's a number of things. And I think it goes back to um, what we were just saying about Bud. And uh, just quickly back to that point, it's not to say that Coach Budenholzer is void of criticism in this series. And I think the biggest issues have been the rotations and what you touched on. And I think, look, when you look at the minutes in Game 2, he basically admitted to it that that was on him to not play Wesley Matthews in the Final Five because we saw Wesley Matthews close out Game 2. And you saw Jimmy Butler did not have the impact on the game other than two free throws with Mm -hmm. no time on the clock. Um, But I think the problem, you know, I I think they kind of go hand-in-hand where... You started playing the bubble, and you didn't have Eric Bledsoe. So that basically leaves only George Hill as the only ball handler you have. Because we saw early in the season, you know, uh, uh, Bud really tried to force the issue early in some games with guys like Pat Connaughton and Dante DiVincenzo, and it just didn't work. So those are the two you have. And, you know, if you want to point back, and I'm not in this camp, but if you want to point back to C, this is another reason why you miss Malcolm Brogdon, it's just that, that he was the third guy that could handle the ball and be the de facto point guard and run the offense for you. You're missing that now, because Wesley Matthews can't do that. Dante, we haven't seen enough to to figure that he can do that. You you can't get it from Pat Connaughton. So being down, Eric Bledsoe hasn't helped. Um, you know, look, I, I'm not even going to try to venture a guess what it is. I mean, this is definitely an odd environment for everyone. We haven't seen all teams react the same, but this is just a strange environment, and it, it's hard to really know what factors into what here, that the lack of home court, is that good, is that bad? We've seen some teams react differently, but I think that's it. And, you know, and we saw two minutes of Frank Mason, and you wondered – have you reached the point where maybe you have to play Frank Mason at, at some of these moments because he's the only actual point guard you have that you can trust to put the ball in the hands of because of these turnovers? Look, I mean, I hate to say it, but I think we've seen enough through two games to understand, and we kind of saw this last night in game two, but it's got to be an eight or seven-man rotation at this point that you know who you can play and you know who you can't. And based off the first two games of sample size, I just don't know that you can confidently say Pat Connaughton and Dante DiVincenzo are playable for the remainder of this series. Yeah, I, and it's funny. I said the, the exact same thing earlier on my show, Justin, is that I think it's a, it's a seven-man rotation. I'm okay with playing bench players. I'm okay with rotating other guys in as long as they are effective. And we haven't seen Pat Connaughton be effective. We've seen Wes Matthews be effective, but he gave him the pull in game one. I know he's a... He's a starter, but for all intents and purposes, he's not on the same level as Bledsoe, you know, Lopez, Middleton, and and Giannis. It's going to be an interesting rotation to watch moving forward because Bud's got to hear the criticism, right? He knows that people are expecting him to play his star players more. It's a postseason game, and especially now they're game, uh, they're two games to nothing in the series. You got to think Coach Bud will feel that urgency moving forward. Justin, I wish we could talk longer. We're a little bit backed up. Uh, and I have another guest to get to, and, and we got a lot to hit today. So I appreciate your time, man. I'd love to have you back, and I appreciate you always coming on and, and, and kind of breaking down these Bucks games with us. Come back again soon, Justin. Thanks. Anytime. Yeah, that's Justin Garcia, the Bucks Radio Network.